just singing uh, this morning. Remember that uh, choir practice still not too late. Tiffany's still got a couple books, uh, and there's a couple chairs left in the choir if you've not been coming, but would like to uh, join us for our Christmas program. Please join us tonight at 6 p.m. or not 5 5 p.m. 6 p.m.'s church. 5 p.m.'s choir practice. So. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be looking at chapter 16, beginning in verse 13 uh, this morning. And uh, We all probably know some folks, hopefully you're not one of these folks, but folks that think that the sun doesn't rise until they get up in the morning and that... Uh, their opinion is always the right one, and uh, that, you know that the world revolves around them. And uh, perhaps your wife has said something. Well, who died and made you king today? Uh, you know, there are things that sometimes we wrestle with as human beings: pride, uh, and uh, it's not really a good thing. It's important though that we know who we are, and that we recognize who we are for real, not, uh, you know, so Halloween we had a couple weeks ago and, and lots of folks dressed up in costumes. Um, and it's sometimes good to, to dress up or to, you know, have, but it's important that we recognize who we really are. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is who we really are. And that's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. And so let's take a look, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Interesting events. Remember what has just taken place that uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees come asking for a sign, and Jesus rebukes them. Uh, Luke, that records the same event, tells us that after that happened, they went off by themselves and finally got some peace and, and rest that they had been trying to get for and needed for so long. And as they were sitting maybe around a, a campfire, uh, maybe around a, a dinner table, Jesus asked the question. And the question was this, who do people say that I am? And it was Peter that spoke up first. And, you know, uh, others that, you know, we don't know. They say maybe John the Baptist. Some say John the Baptist reincarnated. Maybe you're Elijah. Maybe one of the other prophets. Maybe Jeremiah. 
And then Jesus turned the question around a little bit and said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke right up. And he said, You are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. By the way, it was the right answer. That's who exactly Jesus was. And Jesus responds, Listen, you didn't figure this out on your own. It was revealed by God. And by the way, the scripture reminds us that no man can come to the Father and no man can understand the things of God unless God shows him. It's the God that draws and God that reveals and illuminates and helps us to understand spiritual things because natural man cannot understand spiritual things. And so Jesus said, listen, you've spoken truly. There's been some controversy over church history about what Jesus says next. He says, Peter, your name is Peter. And by the way, that's what his name was. He was Simon Peter. Uh, the bar, bar simply means son of, and Jonah was their father. He said, and the, the Greek for Peter translates rock. It's the same root word in a different Some have said, well, that means that Peter is what the church is going to be built upon. Well, that's not at all what Jesus was saying. But the church would be built upon the truth that Peter had recognized and had revealed to him. And that was that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. They were in Caesarea Philippi, uh, and that region uh, has kind of a a rich and interesting history. It was full of, um, I guess, false gods, if you will. There were uh, caves and different places that were dedicated to, to gods and uh, statues to various gods, including uh, to Philip, and uh, who was the emperor at the time, and um, you know, a statue to uh, the Greek god of nature, Pan. All those were, were dead statues. You see, the disciples understood, and Jesus was trying to get them to understand and wants us to understand, there is only one true God. There are lots of things, even in our world in 2017, vying to be God. But there is only one true God. And the thing that we have to realize is that we are not it. We we are not God. The thing is, we can know him, though. And that makes all the difference. And so, But all those gods, just like, you know, over in Japan, we've had missionaries from Japan come, they tell us about the god shelf in most Japanese homes where they will clap and bow before uh, these statues and that they'll put little bits of fruit out in front of these statues and uh, various things like that. You know, those, that's not really God. There's one. And he's not a God that's dead. He's not a God that's buried somewhere. But he is a living God. And thank God that he lives within our heart if we believe him. He lives within us and we know that he's alive. And that makes all the difference. So he said, listen, this is an important truth that you've got to to understand. 
And by the way, Jesus' questions to his apostles that day are ones that each one of us have to answer for ourselves. God will eventually, in fact, he does oftentimes ask us this question, who do you say that I am? And that answer to that question impacts your life more than any other question you maybe are ever asked in your life. Who do you say that I am? There are people in our world that think that Jesus is simply a fairy tale. There are plenty of people today that say, well, he just made up by the church to enslave people and keep them, keep them in line. There are people that right now and say that Jesus was a good moral person and a good teacher. And he was those things, but he didn't just stop there. Some may answer, well, Jesus is my friend, and Jesus certainly wants to be your friend. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But the thing is, is that there's two things that in order to be a Christian, that's what Jesus has been trying to get us to realize are things that, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, the first thing it means is that when Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am, the first thing that you say is that you're my Savior. The only way that any of us can come to eternal life and to enter into a relationship with God, even here on earth, is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That we recognize He is the Savior. That He was the anointed one, the promised one. That's what Christ means, is anointed one. That He was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, the one that Jesus said would come and deliver His people from the bondage of their sin. And that's exactly what Jesus came And so, you know, the most important thing, perhaps, is that Jesus is our Savior. And we proclaim that, listen, I know that no matter what goes on in this life, Jesus is right beside me because He's my Savior. And I know that when the next life comes, because this life is just temporary, it's fleeting. Time, it seems, the older I get and I know this is probably true for you too. The older you get, the faster time seems to go. It really does seem like we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And it seems like we just had the hanging of the greens and just celebrated Christmas. And yet, those seasons are upon us again. But Jesus wants us to understand and know that if we don't belong to him, then nothing else in this life really matters. Jesus is Savior. He will save anybody who asks. No matter their past, no matter how rotten they've been. And that's the good news of the gospel is that nobody is beyond the saving grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. But you see, if you stop there, you miss the boat again. It's not until you're able to say, Jesus is my Lord, that you've really gotten to be where God wants you to be. Does Jesus want to save you? Absolutely he does. Scripture says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance and have everlasting life. And the way they do that is through trusting and accepting the gift Jesus gave them on the cross of Calvary. Jesus certainly is Savior. But you see, if he's not also your Lord, he's probably not your Savior either. You see, he has to be bold. He has to be Savior and Lord. Being the Lord of your life means that when He gives direction, you follow it. That you recognize and understand that the leadership and the authority over your life is not your own. But you've handed it over to Jesus. That really is the, the call that Jesus makes for his followers. It's not just accept the, the reward and the, the blessing of salvation, but to surrender and make Jesus Christ our Lord, to recognize that he is the one that has the authority to call the shot. Why? Because he's God, number one. But then secondly, because he's redeemed us. He's given us that great grace. That grace that's so much greater than whatever sin might indwell our life. Jesus' grace is so much greater that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful, blessed thing to know. And my prayer is that you do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and if you don't, today would be a great day to come to make that decision. But then the rest of the passage gets more directly to us about what that means. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? And that answer to that question answers this question, who do you think you are? You see, if we are arrogant and boastful and think we're God's greatest gift to mankind and the sun doesn't come up before we get up in the morning, that's an indicator that we've made ourselves the Lord of our life. And if when God speaks and we say, no, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do what you direct us, that's another indicator that Jesus is really not the Lord of our life. But when we recognize and understand who we are in Christ, and I think this is the point Jesus was making to his disciples, when you recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it changes also not only who you, what you think about God, but it also changes your reality and who you are. That you are no longer a sinner. That you are no longer left to your own devices. No longer are you... Uh, whatever baggage, whatever things you might have been carrying around, but you're changed. I think of the great uh, story of Jacob in the Old Testament. 
You remember Jacob's story? Jacob means liar, and he stayed true, or, you know, Connor, the con artist. And I tell you, through most of his life, he, at the beginning of his life, he, he made true to his name. Conned his brother out of the birthright. Right, done all kinds of, of bad things. But do you remember that God changed Jacob and made him Israel? You remember that, and that, by the way, God doesn't just do that in the book of Genesis. And not only does God do that in the New Testament, God does that in 2017. And He's done it all through history. Because God's grace is what changes man. And that's what gives us hope. And when Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that means that we become a son or we become a daughter of the Most High King. That though we were filthy and had to dress in, in rags because of choices that we have made, God's grace takes those rags off of us and puts new, clean, bright clothes on us. Cleans us up and says, you are not a beggar anymore. You are royal. And really, that that's a wonderful thing. And that's something to be thankful for as we begin this month of Thanksgiving. By the way, we shouldn't just be thankful one day a year. We ought to be thankful all the time. But this month especially, uh, we uh, should, should be thankful and, and let the Lord know that we are thankful for how he has blessed us. And that we need to give thanks to the Lord. He says, listen, when you understand that you're a child of the King, it means it ought to impact your behavior in this life. So many times people say, oh, I want to be saved. And they may even come to church and be baptized and join the church. And that's a wonderful thing. But can I tell you, that's not what makes you a follower of Christ. Making Jesus Lord and Savior is what makes you a disciple. That's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you part of God's family. And so not only do we have to, with our head, acknowledge, you know, say that we're a Christian, that we belong to Jesus, but we have to live like it too. Say, Wait a minute, preacher, you mean I've got to act like a Christian on Monday and on Friday and on Saturday when the dogs are whooping up on whoever they're playing? At least this year. It's not always that way, but they're having a good year this year. Yes. That we do not belong to God just one day a week, but if He really is our Lord and Savior, He belongs to uh, or we belong to Him 24-7. Every day of the week, every day of the year. And it ought to impact the way we live our life, and if it doesn't, that means we don't have Him to start. Not that we're perfect, because 
even as Christians, even as people that are trying to grow in their relationship with the Lord and people that recognize who they are, sometimes we forget the crown that we wear. We forget who redeemed us and we make bad choices. And we and yet when we do, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us convicts us and says, hey, listen, buddy, you better repent of that. And when we do, God forgives every time. Isn't that wonderful? And so we can say, listen, I am a forgiven child of God. And that is a wonderful thing. But just as wonderful is knowing that not only does Jesus say that we're forgiven children of his, but he goes on and he says, because you're forgiven children of mine, I'm going to use you. He said, I'm going to let you come and be a part of what I'm doing in this world. He said, I'm going to use you to be my hands and feet to accomplish my will in this world. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said that, you know, upon this truth I'll build my church. And you have the, the gates of, or the keys to the gates of heaven and hell and Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound. You're not saying, you know, that we have the authority to go and, you know, you just say, you know, I'm speaking and believing. I'm going to have $1,000 in the mailbox when I get home. and Poof, it's going to be there. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. We can just name it and claim it. The Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does teach that when we pray according to God's will, that it is done. What does that mean? That means that in order for that to happen, we've got to be so in tune with who we are and whose we are that our prayers line up exactly to what God wants. And that we're not always praying. Listen, can I tell you something? If, if most of your prayer time is for you, you're doing it wrong. Our prayer time should not be... Pray- should we pray for ourselves and the things that we need in our prayer? Absolutely we should. But if that's the only thing we pray about, and if the only thing we pray about is Sister Susie's broken toe and you know Uncle Bob's sniffly nose, then we have missed the boat entirely. Most of our prayer time should be focused on two things. God, and by the way, we should spend time in prayer, you know, adoring God and thanking Him and praising Him for what He's done and for who He is. Because can I tell you, if the only thing that Jesus had ever done for you was save you, that'd be enough for you to spend the rest of your life praising Him for. But He's done so much more for you. So God should be a primary focus of our prayer time, but then the other focus of our prayer time should not be ourselves, but should be others should be those who are lost, those that don't know the Lord. And if they don't, before they die, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And that ought to disturb us. And we ought to be praying for for lost folks. We ought to have some lost folks on our prayer list that we're praying for on a regular basis. It's our church and other churches and other people. 
And then after we've spent all that time praising God and praying for others, then we can pray for ourselves. Certainly we pray for ourselves, but that shouldn't be the primary focus and it shouldn't be the primary time of our prayer time. Jesus desires for us not to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but rather to be heavenly enough that we're earthly good. God desires for us to work here on earth to set people free from the bondage of sin. That people would, because of our life and because of our witness, they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior the way that we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Say, well, preacher, I don't have a Bible degree. I don't you know, have much Bible memorized. I'm not a very good reader. I'm not a very good talker, and I'm getting embarrassed around people. Well, come up with all, lots of people in the Bible had all kinds of excuses about why they couldn't do what God wanted them to do. And you know what I've noticed about that? God's never accepted one of those excuses. He's never said, oh, I didn't realize that. Never mind then. Let me go find somebody else. What did he always say? He says, do it anyway. And I will give you the power and the ability to do it. Especially Moses, you know, Exodus chapter 3, and all, it's, you know, he gave all kinds of excuses to God why he couldn't do what he'd asked him to do. And God, with each of those excuses, gave him, he said, well, but I'm not a good speaker. He said, well, I'll give you, your brother Aaron's a good speaker. Take him with you. And so we need to understand that God desires for us to be a light to this world. He desires for us to be his hands and feet. And the truth of the matter is if we say that we belong to him and he's the Lord of our life, then when people ask us, who, do you, who are you? You say, well, I'm the hands and the feet of Jesus. And when we're the hands and feet of Jesus, we don't do the work of the devil. The devil has enough minions working on his behalf. He has enough hands and feet doing the earth's work. But God's hands and feet are supposed to be doing God things. They're supposed to be making a difference in this world. And it's an overwhelming task, by the way, because this world, if you haven't noticed... It's messed up. It's going down the tubes. Every day, you, you know, there's more killings, more shootings, more stabbings, more robberies, more wars, you know, in our country, in different places, people doing all kinds of crazy, nutty things. There's famine everywhere. There's earthquakes. There's other natural disasters. And by the way, That doesn't, shouldn't say, well, just too much to do. Let's throw our hands up and do nothing. What it ought to do is remind us that, hey, listen, Jesus said something about these things. And he said in the last days, there would be an increase of wars and rumors of wars. And there would be earthquakes. There would be other, can I tell you that Jesus' coming is certainly closer today than it was last year or ten years ago. He is coming back. 
We don't know the day or the hour, but we know he's coming. And when we read the paper, and it, it ought to drive us to tears and drive us to prayer, but also ought to remind us that, listen, Jesus is coming back. This world, thankfully, is not all that there is. That there's an eternity waiting for us. But if we're not living for the Lord as Lord, uh, and not making Him Lord and Savior here on earth, then He's not going to be ours in the next life either. And our eternity just may not be quite what we think it's going to be. So Jesus reminds him, he said, listen. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. But what he doesn't say when he said that was that I'm going to use you to do it. And so our victory has already been assured. And so we have to live like it and act like it and act upon what God has done for you. And so tomorrow when you go to work or when you go to the grocery store and somebody asks you, well, who do you think you are? Don't dare say to them, well, I'm so-and-so. I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. You say, oh, I'm just a forgiven child of God. Someone that God has given me his grace to and someone that God has allowed me to be his hands and feet. We remind ourselves of that day. And by the way, we have to remind ourselves of that daily because our natural old carnal self every day is going to say, hey, look, when you look in the mirror and you brush your teeth and you comb your hair, ways you put on your makeup, what you're naturally going to say is, hmm, I look mighty dapper today. Man, I'm good looking. And when we look around and see the accomplishments that we're, if we're not careful, we'll say, hmm, look what I've managed to do. But what we have to remind ourselves of is that it's not us that's really doing it. Remember, Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing things that we're able to accomplish and the blessings that we have are not our own. But they're from the hand of God. And the good things that we're able to accomplish it's not because of us, it's because of Him. And we have to remember that, but when we remember it, that's something to celebrate. We say, Lord, thank you. Not only that you saved me, not only that you want to be the Lord of my life, but that you use me every day. And God wants to use every one of us every single day. The thing is, is most of the time we're not really looking for opportunities for the Lord to use us. We're looking for the clock to strike 5 o'clock or quitting time so we can go home. Or we're waiting to hurry and get for the moron in front of us to speed up so we can get home. And all around us, all day long, God sends opportunities for us to be his hands and feet. And if we'll look for them, and if we'll remind ourselves every day throughout the day several times, I am not my own. I've been bought with the price. I am a child of the king. Then we'll remind ourselves that we need to be about kingly business, and we need to live in a kingly way. 
It is a wonderful thing what Jesus has done for us. It is a wonderful thing who we are in Christ. We should never be ashamed or cower or be ashamed to to name the name of Jesus or to say that we are a believer. We should proudly proclaim it. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it through our works, but because God, by His almighty grace, has declared that's who we are. And so when God's declared that that's who we are, then it's up to us to live like God says we are, because that's what God says in His Word. He didn't make a mistake when He said it, by the way. He didn't put an asterisk there in that scripture and then put a footnote at the bottom that says, except if your name is such and such. There's no exceptions. And so don't you put a question mark where God has put an exclamation mark. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love. And Lord, we thank you for your great grace that covers the multitude of our sin. And Lord, we ask you would forgive us when we live for ourselves. Lord, we're so prone to do what we want to do. We're so prone to take credit for accomplishments in this life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize and examine today as we pause at the end of the service and we would think, you know, who am I? because of what Jesus has done for me. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never trusted you, that's never begun new life, by calling out to you and receiving the gift of salvation that you gave on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, would you have them today to reach out and accept that great gift? But Lord, most of the people here this morning are believers. Lord, would you help us, everyone, to ask this question, who do you say that I am? Lord, we've got to answer that question for ourselves. Our family can't do this. Our preacher can't do it for us. We've got to answer it ourselves. And Lord, if there's one here that maybe is not answered the way they should, maybe they've been treating you like a get-out-of-jail-free card or somebody to call in time of a pinch, rather than as Lord and Savior today, would you help them to call on you and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life, not just my Savior. Lord, help us recognize we're under new management when we come to you. And help us to live like it, we pray, as forgiven saints and children of God. Let's stand together, my friend. If God's spoken to your heart, and there's a decision you need to make today, today,